my, my subject today is the consummation of love. The consummation of love. When people think about consummation, they often think about a marriage when a man and a woman uh, leave the place where they have their vows and they go into their bridal chamber and they come together. And once that marriage is consummated, it has reached uh, its, uh, its fulfillment or it is finalized. The marriage is then finalized and it has reached this ultimate end, as it were. This is now a marriage because uh, this marriage has been consummated. Those two have come together and have become one. It, it's, the, it's the point at which something is complete. It is complete. And so this is what we want to do, want to share with you about love today. See, the love of God, the love of God uh, is to experientially permeate and fully encapsulate every born-again believer. I said the love of God, it, it, its goal is to experientially permeate and fully encapsulate every born-again believer. Because the, the issues that we deal with are because we, that we deal with aren't resolved because the world cannot resolve them because they do not have the living solution. The living solution is the only, only solution for these things. And so that means the love of God is God's solution to all the problems. This is the Father's plan is to permeate you fully and to encapsulate you. See, God's aim and purpose in Jesus is to fill the universe with his son. I, I know that that is an amazing thing, but his aim and purpose is to fill the universe with his son. So when he, as he fills the universe, that is with his son and with people who are of the son, he is filling both time and space, both time and space with his great love. I, you know, this is not just some cheesy thing. I have been this year exposed to God's love like never before. It is so mind-blowing, to use that word again. I'm saying it just comes in and causes us to be shaken in a good way to know that God's love is, is what God is seeking after in all of us. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 3 that the grace uh, that he had upon his life was given that he should preach among the Gentiles, as our ancestors, the unsearchable riches of Christ, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and that, make, that he would make all to see what is the fellowship, the sharing of this mystery, which from the beginning of the ages uh, was or has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Then Paul says, to the extent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, so Paul says, all of the wisdom of God, even this love thing that we're talking about, must be made known by the church. Must be made known by the church. You can't say you love me and then slap my face. You can't say you love me and then hurt me. I can't say I love you and abuse you. You know, I'm, I'm contradicting you. So the church is God's vehicle of true love, not as the world is uh, and as the world loves. But Paul says that this, this, this uh, grace was given to him uh, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church 
to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose. He says according to what eternal purpose. So God's desire is to take this church of his, of his son, and inculcate into the church all of his attributes and then show it to the world. And not only to the world, but to principalities and powers, ruling beings in the heavenlies. And, and this is what Paul says, always just, just messes with my mind. He says, which he accomplished, past tense, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's not like, oh, well, that's as good as done. No, that is done. And the only thing that, that keeps us from seeing it's done is time and space. Now let's look at this consummated love because it's God's desire is to consummate this love, the consummation of love. I, I was, I'd, I'd written my message and, <clears throat> and worked on it, and then I was, I was going to call Sister Rose, uh, uh, I think it was Friday night, and say, because they were on vacation in Washington, D.C., all of them have been on vacations while you've seen them. This is the first Sunday back. I was going to call her and say, I need to change my subject. Is it too late? She always tells me it's never too late. But I said, is it too late to get it all on the, on the, the devices and whatever? And I said, God, I, need, I don't know if I should be preaching on love being consummated. And, uh, and so I was reading through my Bible, and I saw there the consummation of love on one of the captions. I thought, isn't this too much? Isn't God too much? So, so what does this love look like for all of us? I want something deep. You're not going to get deeper than the love of God. Now, you can go shallow, but you will never get deeper than, than the love of God. And everything that is wrong with, with us, our bad conduct, our terrible comportment and deportment are all due to the fact that we don't love God's way. All of it. Love is so foundational, but it, but it permeates everything above the ground. So we have to look at God's love as God looks at it. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's how the, the, the Jews looked at it in the old covenant. Oh, love, love your neighbor, love your brother, but hate your enemy. And they thought there was God's retribution on their enemy. So don't you try to bring retribution on your enemy. Amen. Do not. You leave it in the hands of God. My wife always liked to say, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. He said, because you don't know how much is owed. Yeah. And so if you don't know how much is owed, how can you pay them back? They might, they might deserve a lot more than you've given them. And then you give them your little two cents, and God says, well, I'm going to leave the $50 alone now. He says, you shall love. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Now I wonder how many of us in here really do that. Bless those who curse you. No, if you curse me, I'm going to curse you, right? No. Bless those who curse you. Hey, man, have a good day. And look, I don't want to fight. We're here. God bless you. We can talk later when you feel like it. You know, do good to those who hate you. What? Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Pray for those who spitefully use you, those who lie on you, those who treat you horribly. Uh, you want me to pray for them, God? Yes. 
He said, why does he say that? This is the best part. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. I want to be a son of God. So he says, you have to do this to be a son of God. So you're not a son of God if you don't do this. That's what he's saying. Now listen, you may have failure here and there. We've all had some failure here and there. I always say to you, if you stumble, make sure you're stumbling toward the Lord, not away from him. Now listen, he says, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and the good. So God loves people you don't like. He makes his son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And so what the scripture is saying is that God sends rain on your enemies and causes your enemy's lawn to look as good or maybe better than yours. You farmers, your, your enemies get rain also. And maybe they have a great and abundant crop, and you're now angry with God, not because he's unjust, but because he's good. And God's goodness can make you see that you're not very good sometimes. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Or let me say it like we said in East Texas. What reward do you have? If you just love the Lord. God is saying, I'm not going to reward you for loving people who love you. I'm going to reward you from going beyond the pale. I'm going to reward you for loving people who did not love you. They lied on you. They talked about you. And you, you loved them anyway. I'll tell you a quick story. I remember a number of years ago, we, we were new new church. And there was this person who had sure lied on me. Sure hurt me back. Sure hurt me back. And that person came to church Sunday and said, oh, Brother Don, I, I saw Jesus help me. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, don't lie on me and then hug me. <laughs> but, but I had to grow in that. So I'm not saying that everybody's there. But there ought to be some examples out here that, that others can see and say, I want to be more like so-and-so, so I'll be more like Jesus. He goes on to say, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same? Do sinners do the same? He said, therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. I want my love to be consummated in you. I want us to come together so we're one. Hallelujah, somebody. Jesus concluded by saying, as I just read, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. His message demonstrated God's righteous standard. For God himself truly is the standard of righteousness. You say, well, God wants us to be righteous. Yes, and he is the standard. And I, I, I've told you many times, people say, well, we can't be perfect. Stop saying that. That's totally wrong. It's not scriptural. What you might mean is you, we might make a mistake here and there. That's why God gives us forgiveness. Forgiveness washes it away, wipes it away, and it's gone. So I look at it from, from a heavenly perspective. God is not telling us something that, that cannot be walked out. He's not saying, no, I don't really mean that. That's you. He says, be perfect or be like your father. And how can I be perfect? By believing in Jesus Christ and on Jesus Christ, 
embracing Jesus Christ in everything because he is the perfect love of God. So if I want to be perfect, I have to embrace him. And I thank you, God, for forgiveness. I thank you for forgiveness. Boy, forgiveness is one of the greatest blessings we've ever received from God. And, and how is it that God forgives us because he loves us? He loves us. He says, if these individuals are to be righteous, they must be as God is, perfect. That is, mature, holy. Wow. You know, Jesus is so wonderful. Embracing him, receiving him is so amazing. You see, under the Old Testament, one had to actually commit the sin before he was guilty. In the New Testament, if you just thought about it, you were guilty. Wow. In, in John 14, 31, the Scripture reads, But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. But that the world may know that I love the Father, as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. So you and I must do as Jesus commands us. And he commands us to love. And what a, what a great time now to love in the midst of all of this volatile uh, and venomous atmosphere. This is the time when we must be at our best. I say this is the church's finest hour. It is our greatest opportunity to show love in the midst of the chaotic atmosphere. If I were writing this, I'd say comma, but, but too many of us think that the world has called us to make it better. Too many believers, you break my heart, you may ask, well, Pastor, why are you looking like you look and, and walking around here, you know, occasionally looking very old while you're still young, Pastor? And it's because you owe my heart. I have a burden for you. I'm talking about not only those of us who are here, but those who are in our online audience. I have a burden for the Church of Jesus Christ, and I feel, I feel in a way similar, but not with the capacity. When Jesus came into the house of God, and he saw them uh, buying and selling in there and, and uh, changing money, and he, he, just, he just, I won't say he got mad, I'm not, I don't have enough faith to say that, you know. I may be a little bit too close to the doors, that my dad would say, but he was not happy. He was angry with them, and he drove them out of the temple. And he said to them, it is written that my, my, uh, you, uh, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Like, get out of my house. Get out of my daddy's house. And they said, by whose authority are you doing these things? You tell me. And uh, this, you answer this for me, and then I'll tell you about uh, whether, whose authority I'm under. He says, John, the, John's baptism, who was it from? They would not tell him. So that means that they didn't want to get right with God. And those of us who insist on our own way, even in the midst of volatility, we're throwing kerosene or oil or gas on the fire. And there are many believers who are doing that, and you know who you are. And if you're in here, don't say, Pastor's picking on me because I don't know it's you. I stay off Facebook so I can preach with, with great confidence. I can just tell, as we say in East Texas, all y'all <laughs> tell you what, what God is saying. So I'm saying, if you're there, you should be there for good. You should be there to bring the gospel, not another opinion. 
Listen to what John 15, verses 9 through 17 say. Firstly, the, the father fully loved and loves the son. Fully loved and loves the son. Uh, therefore, Jesus fully loved and loves his disciples and us. There is no love deficit in the life of any believer. There is no love deficit. We all have the love of God. And with the love of God, the love of, we can do whatever God commands because the love of God is what strengthens us, what enforces everything else God says. It causes us to obey. It gives us not only the command to obey, but the wherewithal to obey. Because if I love God, I'll obey him. If I love others, I will treat them right. So Jesus says in verse 9, as the Father loved me, it was fully, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Stay in my love. Remain in my love. Don't go anywhere from love. If there's an offer to go somewhere beyond love, you don't go. Because he says, remain in my love. So he commanded you. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If you obey me, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Abide, abiding or remaining in God's love is the, is the outworking of obedience. When you remain in God's love, when you love at all times, and I know we're human, I do know, and we're always tempted, I know. We're always tempted. You know, we're always tempted to, to do something. You know, it's like, if you don't get out of my face with that, we always have some of that. If you tell me you don't have some of that in you, then you don't have the love of God in you because the truth is not in you. We all get there. Get out of my face. Somebody say, I'd never feel like that. Wow. <laughs> Can I tell you what, what, my, what, what my, one of my granddaughters said? She said, Papa, when you come back from those trips, she said, you, you fired up. And so I haven't been on a trip, uh, granddaughter, but I have been along with the Lord. You know, I mean, I, you know, sometimes you fasted. I know we fasted here, uh, Reverend Stan and I. We, we, we've done that, and, and I, know, I know Nathan is doing that. Many of you, uh, you know, so the devil attacks you. But he doesn't, he doesn't always attack you with things like, hey, go take a fight. Go take, pick a fight here. He attacks you with food. <laughs> I thought, I say he shoots food bums at you. <laughs> you know, steak. <laughs> Enchiladas, you know. <laughs> so I guess, I guess to my granddaughter back there, I guess I'm fired up because I just came back from a long trip and there was no food on it. <laughs> Keep my commandments. That's what Jesus says. So obedience is the metric or the measuring stick of our love for God. Obedience is that, that metric of our love for God. Our obedience is the visible expression of our love for him. So people will know I love God by not what I say, but how I conduct my life. We may justify our wrong actions and attitudes to friends and family. We'll often do that. You know what I'm saying? We'll explain a wrong move or a wrong something we said or we did 
we'll, we'll, we'll do that. And uh, we'll justify ourselves, but you can never justify yourself before God, except you love at all times. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you. So Jesus is telling us something here, and that your joy may be full. I want my joy to remain in you. I want your, the well-being that I have. I can go through any trial. I want that to remain in you. I, I want you to be calm at all times. I want you to have the peace that, that overflows at all times. He said, I want that. And I want it to be in you. And that's why I told you what would keep it in you by telling you how, that you must love at all times. Wow. So these things Jesus refers to are benefits of the Father's love, which are manifestly expressed through Christ himself. And, and as we abide and remain in his love, we then will have a full expression of joy, which comes from his joy. So we will have joy going through it. If you've ever been in a surgery or, or maybe some of you are, have been MMA people or, or uh, boxers and, and uh, you went in a ring and the guy was tougher or the woman was tougher than you and, and you needed a lobotomy. I've had surgery and came out of the surgery and I, had, I was so anesthetized that, that it was like, man, this is a piece of cake until it started to wear off a bit. <laughs> well, Jesus, Jesus said, Jesus said, my joy will anesthetize you. It, it fully. Let, let me hurry along because, because I, my time is slipping away because I used it on announcements. In verse 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now, Jesus is up to something by saying that. You know, when Jesus says something, you, you got to say, oh, he just said that. No, there's a lot behind it. He said, now, listen, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And what Jesus is saying is that when you love the way I love, you'll do what I've done. So Jesus laid down his life for those disciples, and he's laid down his life for us. He died. That's what they're laying down me. He died. He said, you ought to die for them. See, I may not agree with all that you think. I may not agree because we have, we, we have not come to the conclusion yet. I may not agree with the way you vote, but I always love you. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm not going to... Uh, as, as it were, disparage you because you have not come to the place where I am. Let me say, I think it was Pastor Jackson was talking about, and I'm going to teach on this in a short while, the plumb line, P-L-U-M-B. Uh, I think uh, Pastor Ken is an expert carpenter, and several of you here, uh, Brother Kenneth and others, and every good carpenter has a plumb line in his tool kit. And you, you hold that plumb line up and it's perfectly straight. I think they call him a plumb bob. It's perfectly straight. And you start your, your walls with that plumb line. That's why I tell you the truth does not take sides. Some of you don't believe that because you keep doing that. I just know you must be, because I'm preaching about it. And 
I said to my staff and all those who would listen, and I'm not a left person. I'm not a right on the right side person. I'm a kingdom person. And that means, go ahead. So God's word is his plumb line. And all I want to do is line up. And so uh, those who are over here on the right must come to where I am. Those on the left must come to where I am because the plumb line of truth is in no place but the church. And we, we are not doing that very well. This is our hour to shine, not to be divisive and nutty and try to prove that people are wrong. You, I don't know your experiences and you don't know mine. So don't lecture me on my experiences. My experiences aren't lying, aren't lying experiences. Now, sometimes we have lying experiences, but mine are not. I'm saying when love is consummated, you'll stop trying to prove somebody wrong and just stand in the truth of God. Stand in the truth of God. He says the church is the pillar and mainstay or ground of the truth. Well, the church, let the world do the crazy stuff. You do the good stuff. Amen. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. You are my friends, he's saying, if you obey, if you do whatever I command you. And he commands us to love one another in this context. He's saying, I'm telling you, love one another. He's not suggesting it. And sometimes it's difficult, isn't it, because of our own humanity. It's difficult. He says, I, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his, ma his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all things that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. And this is what I try to do as your pastor. I, I try to tell you everything. I was talking to the warden. And I said, Lord, I guess you haven't been giving me any, any really good stuff lately. You know, he's giving, always giving me something for everything God gives us good. I said, I want some of that deep stuff, that, that knock you off your feet stuff. I said, but maybe you've not done it because you know I'm going to just run and tell it to the whole church. <laughs> Jesus says, I've told you everything. That's, that's, is that, 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 does that do something to you? Yeah. Yeah. I've told you everything. And then he comes back and reiterates everything he told the 12. He comes back and reiterates it to you every week. Wow. Wow. And now listen to some of you folks who think you came to Jesus on your own. In just about two minutes, Brother Jim. You think you came to Jesus on your own. You come from a theology that you, you got tired of the way you were living, and you came to Jesus on your own. You did not. You did not. He said, you did not choose me. But I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain for whatever you ask, that, what, that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give you. These things I command you. And that's what he says. To go bear fruit? No. That you love one another. 
God can trust us, not when we exhibit all of our natural talents. We come in and we're so eloquent. We're intellectually superior to most everybody around us. No, that doesn't impress God. He's so much smarter than you. He's much more eloquent than you. You know what, what impresses God, if I may say that, Jesus? Is that when you start loving like him. That, that moves to God. Because you can have that eternal quality that will change the world. Just listen to what he says. Whoever keeps, John says this. Before I go to that, I'm going to say this and then I'm going to finish. I'm not going to go to the next part. The love of God was perfectly walked out in a human body by Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ must be our example. He is our example. And the love of God was walked out perfectly in Jesus Christ, a man who had a human body. That's why I say that you and I can come to a place where the love of God has been so consummated that you and I can walk it out. John tells us no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. It's been consummated. John says no one has seen God at any time. What an emphatic statement he makes. There's no wiggle room for that. He then tells us if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. John is saying, and that's why I say when he says be perfect, he means that. He doesn't give us an approximation. Be approximately perfect. Be holy. Be separated. Let me have full sway in your life. John says, if we love one another, God abides in us. His love has been perfected, been consummated. We've come together. We're no more two but one. Although we have not seen God, John tells us in this verse. Although we have not seen God, no one has seen God. He said, but if you love the way I am asking you, commanding you to love, he said, people can clearly, right now, in each other, see God. The world can see God, and we too can see God, although we have never laid natural eyes on him. He said, if you'll do this, you can see God. We can see him right now in each other when we love as he's commanded. There and only there can God be clearly seen. I bless you. I'll be back in a moment.